previously on Rediscovering, SB 1070. The ruling didn't address the racial profiling concerns that many in the immigrant community feared most. And it specifically kept open the possibility that such concerns could be grounds to revisit the papers, please, portion of the law. But for now, at least, 1070's controversial core was preserved. The state could require police to inquire about the legal status of those they suspect of being undocumented immigrants. To those casually opposed to 1070, winning on three of four counts might have seemed like a victory. But in the immigrant community, the fact that the high court preserved the right to seek legal documents on demand left a deep, lingering fear of discrimination and deportation. It was sort of, people knew. I mean, and if they could get away, they got away. Um, uh, and all those people, by the way, who were documented got away. They said, I just don't want to be here, man. I, you know, this, this, this place is full of hate. I just don't want to be here. But while thousands of people left Arizona, far more stayed, and many of them weren't going to hide. Carlos Garcia came to the U.S. without papers at five years old from Sonora, Mexico. He grew up dreaming of being a teacher and a sports coach. As a teenager, he was adopted by his stepfather. His adoption would eventually lead to him earning his U.S. citizenship in the early 2000s, when he was a college student. Arizona's efforts at curbing illegal immigration, including SB 1070, drove him into activism. I spent the first 15, 16 years of my life fighting back, responding, reacting, trying to defend my family from not being destroyed. As an activist, he witnessed tearful and chaotic separations of children and families by sheriff's deputies. He protested legislation at the state capitol and in Washington, D.C. He even got arrested during his protests. He helped those more friendly toward undocumented immigrants get elected to office then he really got involved. Hi, Carlos Garcia. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support the Constitution of the United States. That I will support the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution. And the Constitution. And the laws of the state of Arizona. And the laws of the state of Arizona. Ladies and gentlemen, Council Member Carlos Garcia. In May 2019, Garcia, the activist with Puente Human Rights Movement, was elected to the Phoenix City Council. How can we now shift it? How can we build power? And whether it's this position or whatever position, my personal goal is to continue to dismantle all that harm that was created over the last 20 years. And so that's, that's what's next, right? Whether it's through this position, through Puente, through whatever we're doing, it is to dismantle that which was placed in Arizona over the last 20 years. And it's not just Garcia. Nothing lasts forever. Not in politics, not in policy. Change can come slowly, but it does happen. Arizona's Senate Bill 1070 didn't happen suddenly. It took years of effort building toward a moment when the legislature, the governor, and the public 
pushed by a terrible slaying, agreed to do something about illegal immigration, even if the White House and Congress couldn't. For a while, 1070 was popular and a good way to win elections in Arizona. Russell Pierce, Jan Brewer, and John McCain were all re-elected, taking hardliner positions in 2010. But the Latino and migrant communities, those most directly impacted by those policies, have pushed back. Today, running against 1070 and the politics of oppression is a good way to win elections in Arizona, even if the White House wants to change all that. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. And I'm Ron Hansen. This is the final part of Rediscovering SB 1070. In this episode, we'll look at the legacy of Senate Bill 1070, Arizona's 2010 Immigration Enforcement Law. SB 1070 reshaped Arizona politics and set an example to others about the political potency of nativism and border security. It's a law that has galvanized a new generation of activists. Combined with Arizona's rapid growth among transplants and Latinos, it helped make the state a political battleground this election year. It's a dramatic shift for a state that was reliably red in presidential elections for most of the past 64 years. The state had two Republican senators for 24 years in a row, ending in 2019. This year, voters could elect a second Democrat to Washington, giving Arizona a pair of Democratic senators for the first time since 1953. At the state legislature, the two-seat majority in the state House of Representatives is the GOP's smallest since Democrats last controlled the chamber in 1966. A decade after Arizona passed 1070, the law still quietly echoes through our politics in the people who are affected by it the most. Sometimes, the connection to 1070 is easy to draw. What activists have done is use immigration-related issues like SB 1070 to spur more Latinos to vote. This has mostly benefited Democrats. And more Latinos, like Carlos Garcia, started running for office. In 2019, Tucson elected Democrat Regina Romero its mayor. She's only the second Latino to hold that office since the Gadsden Purchase in 1854. And she's the first Latina to ever hold that position. On the night she won, Romero said the city needed to demand the repeal of SB 1070. There are 90 members of the Arizona legislature. When 1070 passed, 12 of those 90 members were Latino. 10 of them voted against it. One Republican voted for it, and one didn't vote. Today, 22 of the 90 state lawmakers are Latino, and that didn't happen by chance. Elected officials like Carlos Garcia and Regina Romero recognized that without a seat at the table, they couldn't help control their future. One of the narratives that's happening around 1070 is that you know, this is somehow a celebration. And, and I think it is in the sense that we've built power, people have come out of this work and, and are now leading in different issues. Because 1070 had such strong partisan overtones, those who oppose it are lining up solidly on the other side. And combined with our changing demographics, 
it has led to a slow rolling tide of Democratic victories. Remember Joe Arpaio? He's the former Maricopa County Sheriff who won six terms promising hardline law enforcement, especially against undocumented immigrants in his later years. In 2008, before 1070, he won by 13 percentage points. In 2012, after 1070, he won by six points. It was a much narrower win, but it was still a win. For activists like Tony Valdovinos, who wanted Arpaio out of office, the narrow defeat motivated them. It showed him that if Latinos voted in larger numbers, they could provide decisive margins. This moment of recognizing how close you got. And I remember being in a room when everybody was in tears. I mean, people were literally devastated. And I just remember looking at my, my friend in the eyes and, and we, we knew that it was a matter of time. From there, Arpaio's time came quickly. By 2016, voters were fed up with the steep financial cost of Arpaio's legal battles with his enemies. At the same time, Arpaio was trying to fend off accusations of racial profiling. Latinos had taken Arpaio to court, saying his enforcement operations were racist. A judge agreed and ordered him to stop. He defied the order and was found in civil contempt of court. It is a misdemeanor, contempt of court, same time as a barking dog. So they go after me so much, so, hey, I can take it. You, you open the door, I'm telling you, it doesn't bother me. When he faced re-election in 2016, he lost to a Democrat by almost 13 points. The same night Arpaio lost, voters elected Donald Trump as president, including Arizona voters. It was a bittersweet moment for activists. My God, 2016 election night, we were over at Hans Park. I mean, we just defeated Arpaio and Donald Trump just got elected. That was a very confusing moment for a lot of us because we had been in the trenches for such a significant amount of years in the summer, pushing these votes, talking to people, you know, raising volunteers. And uh, when our when Donald Trump got elected and, and Joe Arpaio lost, you know, it was it was a very phenomenal feeling to recognize that you just defeated one of the most undefeatable people in politics and in Arizona of what Arizona people believe is and we got Paul Penzona elected. Such mixed results are to be expected in a state that is in political flux. As the nation's fastest growing county, Maricopa County's electorate is more diverse than ever. Transplants, often from blue states such as California and the Rust Belt, are importing their politics with them. The state's Latino population is growing quickly, and many young people are coming of age to vote. And Trump's topsy-turvy presidency has turned off many of the voters in the suburbs who used to reliably vote for Republicans. In 2018, 
Arizona's evolving electorate had more surprises in store. Democrats had not won a single statewide election in Arizona from 2010 until 2018. That changed in a big way. In 2018, Democrats won a seat in the statewide election for Corporation Commission for the first time in 10 years. They won the school superintendent race for the first time in 26 years. It is truly my privilege to be here and I am deeply honored to be your next superintendent of public instruction. They won the Secretary of State's race for the first time in 28 years. I am and will be forever grateful for the confidence you've placed in me to do the job of Secretary of State. And the biggest news of that election, Kirsten Cinema defeated Martha McSally, giving Democrats their first victory in a U.S. Senate race in Arizona in 30 years. Arizonans had a choice between two very different ways forward. One focused on fear and party politics, and one focused on Arizona and the issues that matter to everyday families. Arizona rejected what has become far too common in our country. Name calling, petty personal attacks, and doing and saying whatever it takes just to get elected. It's dangerous and it lessens who we are as a country. All four victories were tight, meaning every vote mattered. Long after it was over, the Census Bureau reported that, compared to the 2014 elections, voter turnout among Hispanics in 2018 improved more than turnout among non-Hispanic voters. It was the kind of small difference that has helped remake the state politically. In that way, Arizona could be following a path set by California a generation earlier. The Golden State was politically competitive into the 1990s, but that changed after voters overwhelmingly passed Proposition 187 in 1994. That initiative sought to exclude undocumented immigrants from receiving public benefits, including a public education. A federal judge later gutted the law but in the meantime, Prop 187 ignited political engagement within California's Latino population, as exhaustively documented in a podcast by Gustavo Ariano, a reporter for the Los Angeles Times. For most of the past 25 years, Republicans have seemed an endangered species in California politics. Here in Arizona, a new generation of activists is looking to replicate that outcome by canvassing neighborhoods that used to be treated as afterthoughts in Arizona politics. It's helped bring a more purple hue to the state's political map. Tom Perez was a lawyer for the Justice Department when that agency sued Arpaio for racial profiling. Today, he heads the Democratic National Committee. Well, I, when I uh, was first here doing uh, work involving uh, Joe Arpaio and then SB 1070, it sometimes felt like you could hold a meeting of the House Democratic Caucus in your state house, you know, in a phone booth. It felt like uh, uh, we needed more uh, troops. And now you look today, you know, the through line, uh, 29 out of 60 members of the House are, are Democrats. And so I have seen people wake up 
to the reality that Arizona can do better. I spoke to people I remember vividly in the Chamber of Commerce when we were talking about SB 1070. How do you recruit clean energy companies to come to Arizona when the only thing they see is Joe Arpaio and SB 1070? That was a black eye on Arizona. But the legacy of 1070 is more than just more Hispanics voting for Democrats. The business community that didn't want 1070 learned they could not sit silently as controversial legislation about social issues percolated throughout the statehouse. Arizona lost $141 million in the immediate fallout from SB 1070, and it gained a racist reputation that hampered corporate recruiting to the state. A new level of political engagement sprang from business leaders. People like Todd Sanders, who is the CEO of the Greater Phoenix Chamber, realized they couldn't stay silent. I think what we learned post-1070 is that social issues do matter. And uh, we are, the business community is part of the community. And so it was important for us to um, have the conversations, to talk about the bills, whether or not there was a direct business impact or not, and, and then decide what to do. And uh, then, then next year, um, the, the, what we, we call the Sons of 1070 were, were, were front and center for us. We looked at those bills as um, exactly the kind of thing that we needed to stop. We put a bullseye on all of the bills and we killed them. In 2014, Republican lawmakers sent Governor Brewer Senate Bill 1062. It would allow businesses to ignore state laws that conflicted with their religious beliefs. Critics called it a backdoor effort to ratify bigotry against same-sex couples. Critics are quick to compare 1062 to the state's hot-button immigration bill, SB 1070. This time, business leaders weighed in. Businesses, large and small, urged Brewer to veto SB 1062. Among those who lent their support to the opposition were the Greater Phoenix Economic Council, AT&T, Apple, and PetSmart. At the time, the National Football League was scheduled to hold a Super Bowl in Arizona in less than a year. The NFL ominously said it was monitoring the situation in Arizona ahead of Brewer's decision on 1062. Everyone understood what the NFL could do. After all, the league had taken action against Arizona's policies before. In 1990, the league took the 1993 Super Bowl from the state over its resistance to observing Martin Luther King Day. Brewer once again kept quiet about the bill as it sat on her desk. This time, amid a tidal wave of opposition, she vetoed it. 2014 also marked a move away from illegal immigration as the dominant issue for Republicans in Arizona. Jobs, the economy, and funding for K-12 education emerged as the campaign's biggest issues. Republicans had a competitive primary for the race to pick Brewer's successor. Several of the more conservative Republican candidates unsuccessfully tried to make illegal immigration the dominant issue including Andrew Thomas. He's the former Maricopa County attorney who worked alongside Sheriff Joe Arpaio to crack down on illegal immigration. Thomas was disbarred over ethical violations tied to his feud with county judges and officials. Undeterred, 
he ran for governor and finished fifth in the six-way Republican primary election. Then there was Doug Ducey, the state treasurer at the time. A former ice cream company executive, he understood how a tarnished reputation could harm business growth. He focused his campaign on fiscal responsibility and restoring the state's image, saying it would help attract corporate headquarters and with them, good-paying jobs that would help improve the state's economy. I'll have a very clear agenda as your next governor. I want to kickstart the economy so there are more jobs for hardworking Arizonans that turn into fulfilling careers. Although Republicans in Arizona seem to move past their focus on more restrictionist immigration policies, those who bore the brunt of the hardline actions are still haunted by them today. Arizona's Latino community never had the luxury of forgetting about 1070. Those who are here illegally worry that police will have grounds to see papers they don't have. Those who are here legally or were born in the U.S. with roots going back generations worry they will be racially profiled, forced to produce documents they must carry around in a way that others don't. And those concerns, which were raised by protesters from the beginning, came to fruition. Our colleague, Uriel Garcia, detailed the impact of SB 1070 in terms of racial profiling. He found that between July 2017 and December 2019, Phoenix police called Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, more than 6,100 times. In 62% of those cases, the individuals were found to be in the country legally. In fact, less than 3% of those calls ended with ICE arresting someone suspected of being in the country illegally. For many activists, such numbers show that SB 1070 inarguably resulted in racial profiling by the police. Catherine Figueroa is still affected by the crackdown. Remember, she was nine years old when she was playing at her aunt's house one afternoon in 2009. The evening news was on, and she saw images she would never forget. Her father on television, his hands cuffed behind his back with zip ties. Arpaio's deputies detained her mom and dad and other workers at a car wash during an immigration raid. Her parents are from Mexico City. They crossed the border on tourist visas in the mid-1990s, but overstayed them. Catherine was born in the U.S. For three agonizing months, Catherine lost her parents to Arpaio's jail. But in losing them, she found her voice. I was attending marches, protests um, outside of the jails, um, you know, just speaking out for my parents, knowing that they weren't able to speak out for themselves, so I had to do it, or someone else had to do it for them, too. In 2010, she went to Congress to ask for help and advocated for her community. Please tell President Obama to stop SB 1070 and 287G, which are racist laws that give the police to stop everyone that is proud and for a pilot to ask questions like immigration agents. Please tell President Obama to stop putting parents in jail. All they want is a better life for their kids. Thank you for listening to me. She marched in favor of pro-immigrant policies. She protested SB 1070. 
she became a small but powerful symbol of the emotional toll of families with mixed status. And her family represented the consequences of the federal government's failure to overhaul the immigration system and the impact of a state zealously trying to do what Washington would not. In 2013, a judge closed her parents' immigration cases. Under the Obama administration's guidance, ICE administratively closed cases against undocumented immigrants in removal proceedings. So my parents get to stay here in the United States with me. And for that, we're going to keep on fighting for each other and also for all the families that need our help, too. But closing the case does not give them any sort of permission to remain in the U.S. It only means that ICE is no longer actively trying to deport them. Under the Trump administration, many of the closed cases have been reopened. Many have been deported. Today, Catherine is going to school. She works, and as a U.S. citizen, she votes. She's no longer marching in the streets, but she's still pushing her family and friends to make their voices heard in 2020. Like, even with my coworkers, I'm just like, don't forget to vote. You know, it's really important, especially if we want to see a change. If we really do want to see a change, we need to go out and vote. Um, if we just stay home, be like, ah, oh, like, you know, da 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 like, why is he in office? Like, well, we had the opportunity to not keep him in office, but, you know, people decided not to go out to vote. So when I do hear people complaining and stuff, I'm just like, but did you vote? No, I didn't vote. Okay, well then, your vote could have made a, a big change, a big difference. And Tony Valdivinos has found his purpose. He once rode buses from Phoenix to Mesa to knock doors in the effort to recall Russell Pierce. Now, he's CEO of his own political firm called La Machine Consulting Group. He helped elect Phoenix Councilman Carlos Garcia, Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego, and Phoenix City Councilwoman Laura Pastor, as well as Democratic Congressmen Ruben Gallego and Greg Stanton. He also helped elect various Democratic state lawmakers, including Isela Blanc, who was formerly undocumented herself. His life story is also the inspiration for Americano, a hit musical. I employ 44 employees at the current moment. That's one of the greatest feelings is like, we're hiring young kids that, you know, I've seen afford their own cars over working for us over a certain, you know, amount of years. And that's encouraging when you see your community, you know, when you're part of helping your community build. Um, and, you know, so I just think, you know, it's a very confusing time, but it's a, it's a challenging time for so many uh, immigrants and Americans to, to step up. Before Donald Trump took office, Valdivinos went to Mexico for the first time. It was a trip his parents never wanted him to take, given his status as a DACA recipient. He applied to the government for permission to travel. I knew I was never going to ever meet my grandparents, and I decided to go, you know, knowing that it says it at the bottom of your DACA that it's not a guarantee back in. I got to meet all four of my grandparents before three of them passed the following two years. For Tony Valdivinos and Catherine Figueroa and Carlos Garcia and others, 
The legacy of SB 1070 was the awakening of their community and their power. And for older activists like Salvador Reza and Alfredo Gutierrez, well, SB 1070 helped them pass the torch to a new generation of activists who could wield influence inside the halls of power. For Jan Brewer, Russell Pierce, and Joe Arpaio, SB 1070 showed the political potency of the issue of illegal immigration. All three are still active in politics in their own ways. Brewer is a surrogate for Trump's re-election effort. Pierce remains active in grassroots Republican work. President Donald Trump issued his very first pardon to Joe Arpaio in August 2017. The fallout of Arpaio's crackdowns don't seem to bother him at all. He's done a great job for the people of Arizona. He's very strong on borders, very strong on illegal immigration. He is loved in Arizona. And at 87 years old, Arpaio is seeking redemption. He's running for his old seat as Maricopa County Sheriff. The federal government's failure to act on immigration reform fueled a simmering rage of its own. 1070 showed that local leaders would test their powers if Congress refused to act. And, and I recognize that not everybody coming across that border is a bad person in terms of a bad person. But there's a cost to that, a huge cost that can't be ignored. And the rule of law can't be ignored. Pierce stands by Arizona's decision to act. And he says so despite the fact that Robert Krentz's high-profile slaying, which served as the impetus for many around SB 1070, remains unsolved. So we're a generous nation, and, I, and, and this isn't about whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. I mean, we know bad guys are coming, but it's about the rule of law and secure borders. And former Governor Jan Brewer feels much the same way. We are a, a country of laws. We believe in the rule of laws and that nations have borders. And if you don't have borders, it's like a house without walls, it collapses. And you need to protect the integrity of your country. And if you don't, you lose it. You lose your values, you lose your community, you lose the whole being of why it was established and why people go and fight for our country. I mean, if you don't have a country, I mean, you have nothing. We asked Brewer what she thought the legacy of 1070 should be. I think people wanted to they, they, the legacy of 1070 is saying that we believe in the rule of law, we want our borders um, uh, protected, and if you want to immigrate, you're all welcome to come, but come in the right way. Since the passage of SB 1070, Arizona has taken significant steps to the left. In the same time, America has pursued a more hardline approach to illegal immigration. The political appeal of nativism that worked in Arizona resonated with a broader swath of Americans than many could have ever expected. Arizona's new law, what do you make of it? Well, it all starts with the federal government not coming out with a law. They've been talking about it for years, and they still haven't done anything. And Arizona is really getting crime-ridden. I mean, these people are coming over. There's killings all over the place. There's shootings all over the place. That's Donald Trump on CNN's Larry King Live, five days after Jan Brewer signed 1070 into law, and five years before he announced he was running for president. 
The themes that defined his 2016 run, a lawless border, a state overrun with criminals, an impotent federal response, were on his mind even then. Trump's Arizona supporters are careful not to claim credit. They see Trump as more of a kindred spirit than a student of Arizona policies. How much do you connect his rise to 1070? <laughs> I don't know. That's fair statement. But I don't know that, that this in itself was part of it. Certainly the philosophy that goes with it and where he got that from, uh, I don't know. But it is in line with what I've been pushing for years. And he started talking about illegal immigration uh, almost from the beginning because I was there. Well, I think that he obviously understood and appreciated the fact that uh, the people of America um, supported what we would do, what we had done here in um, Arizona. Still, it's clear that Trump closely followed 1070 and saw it as an appropriate antidote to what he viewed as a border in crisis. What do you make of a boycott plan? I think it's ridiculous. I think, look, Arizona is one of our states. They're a productive state, a wonderful state. I've been there many times. And people are just streaming into their state. And crime rate goes way up. And they say along the border, it's just brutal what's happening with if you live along the border. And I just heard this today. I was listening to somebody describing life and it's murder. It's really dangerous stuff. And a lot of the border states are having this problem. If Trump was sounding the alarms about what he viewed as a major problem, others dismissed him as a reality TV star peddling the birther conspiracy theory against President Barack Obama. But he was laying out the ideas that would later launch his long-shot presidential bid. If people come into the country illegally, I am favoring saying you have to get them out. You need laws. We have no law. Nobody even knows what the law is. And Trump made it clear how he felt in his famous campaign announcement. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems. And they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Trump moved through the Republican primary like 1070 moved through the Arizona State House, quickly and with a presumption that failure was inevitable. He said things that everyone expected to derail his campaign, and he made Arizona Senator John McCain a top target. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. And a half years He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Arizona's Senator John McCain brushed aside Trump's brash comments. Totally inappropriate for Mr. Trump to say that right. he doesn't like to be with people who are captured. But Trump's conservative heresies never hurt him. He had struck a nerve with voters who felt like undocumented immigrants were reaping America's benefits while their own lives suffered. And that message still resonates with Trump voters today. We caught up with one such voter, Laureline Adiomi from Phoenix, at a Trump rally in February. I think right now um, the biggest thing that I'm that I'm for Trump more is because the immigrants is coming into the country illegally. Trump's antidote was a big, beautiful wall. 
He came to Arizona early and often, to the delight of conservatives who still backed 1070's aggressive approach to illegal immigration. He made appearances in Phoenix, Mesa, Fountain Hills, and Prescott Valley. Trump staked his campaign on the same sort of hardline, restrictionist policy proposals that Arizona had long grown accustomed to. He vowed to construct an impenetrable barrier along the U.S.-Mexico border that he said Mexico would pay for. On day one, we will begin working on an impenetrable, physical, tall, powerful, beautiful southern border wall. He promised to end Obama's executive action programs that protected hundreds of thousands of young undocumented immigrants from deportation and let them work legally in the U.S. And he pledged to end sanctuary cities. For those who had lived through the debate and the consequences of SB 1070, it was as though Trump was following the same populist playbook that made Russell Pierce, Jan Brewer, and Joe Arpaio, household names within the Tea Party and conservative movement. The seeds of that approach were planted and nourished in Arizona. And as far as president, I get asked this question, why don't you run for president? Because I do have sort of a take on what it takes. And they continue to ask me the same question because they really are looking for answers in this country. Trump, of course, won the presidency in 2016, and Arizona helped make it happen. He carried the state by three and a half percentage points. That's a win, even if it's a slight one. And in the most immediate sense, that's all that mattered, at least in 2016. But Trump's margin in Arizona was the smallest for a Republican since Bob Dole lost the state in 1996 to President Bill Clinton. Before that, Democrats lost in Arizona by an average of 19 percentage points over 11 straight elections. Aside from Bill Clinton, you'd have to go back to Harry Truman in 1948 to find a Democrat who won the Grand Canyon state. Entering 2020, Arizona sits as the possible fulcrum of American presidential politics. Trump's well-financed campaign has been working in Arizona for more than a year and he brought his campaign to the state in a February visit as a reminder of how connected he feels here. It's great being here in the great state of Arizona with thousands of hardworking patriots who believe in God, family, and country. Thank you, thank you. And with your help this November, we are going to defeat the radical socialist Democrats and we are going to win Arizona in a landslide. At the same time, Arizona's new activists continue to wage their own campaign, connecting Trump to the forces that gave the state 1070. Long a safe bet for Republican presidential candidates, Arizona has joined the ranks of hotly contested battleground state. Which side will prevail in November? That's still hard to say, but in politics, Nothing lasts forever. This podcast was edited and produced by Katie O'Connell, Maritza Dominguez, and Taylor Seeley. Reporting by Yvonne Winget Sanchez, 
Daniel Gonzalez, and myself, Ron Hansen. Script supervision came from Katie O'Connell, Daniel Gonzalez, and our Director for Storytelling and Innovation, John Adams. Greg Burton is our Executive Editor. Social media for this podcast came from Danielle Woodward, Grace Palmieri, Garrett Mitchell, Angel Mendoza, and Claire Rafford. Web production by John Paul McDonald. Audio in this episode comes from The City of Phoenix, KPNX 12 News, K-Gun 9 Tucson, Arizona PBS, Rafael Prieto, National Day Labor Organizing Network Videos, CNN, NBC, CBS News, C-SPAN, and NPR. Thanks so much for listening to Rediscovering, SB 1070, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.